Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 as we read together verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So far the reading of the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his holy word to our hearts. Dear friends, one of the best parts of a great piece of classical music is the finale. In the finale, all of the instruments, whether they be strings or brass or woodwinds and percussion, they all combine in one final moving and exhilarating and uplifting conclusion. And this usually makes a lasting impression on the hearts and the minds of the listener. Well, the words of our text are comparable to a grand finale. Since the beginning of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul has been bringing his letter to a conclusion. He's been doing so in a series of short commands. So in verse 1, he commands us to stand fast. Verse 2, be of the same mind. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 5, let your gentleness be made known to all men. And verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Well, now in verses 8 and 9, we come to the final two imperatives indicated by the word finally at the beginning of verse 8. The first of these imperatives is in verse 8. Paul writes, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the second can be found in the middle of verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. The first is a command to think right thoughts. The second is a command to do right things. Now it's important to understand that these two commands are not merely the last in a series. Together, they constitute the two great pillars of the Christian life. And as pillars, they are totally interdependent. You cannot have one without the other. The Christian life consists of thinking the right thoughts and doing the right things. What is more, the one will lead to and the other will flow from the other. So when we think right thoughts, we will do right things. Now, I don't have the time today to deal with both of these pillars in one sermon. There's far too much material here. In fact, one could preach an entire series of sermons just on verse 8. Instead, we'll focus our attention today only on the first of these two pillars, and the other we hope to deal with next week, the Lord willing. And so our theme is Paul's summons to godly thinking. 
And we'll consider, first of all, the focus, secondly, the requirement, and thirdly, the benefit. The Apostle Paul, in our text, summons us to godly thinking. And that's clear from the very last words of our text. There Paul commands the Philippians, and by extension all believers, to meditate. Meditate, he says, on these things. Now the word meditate is perhaps not the best translation of the Greek word here. The Greek word that Paul uses here is logizomai, from which we get the mathematical word logarithm. It can be translated as reckon with, or take account of, consider thoughtfully, or even ponder. Now the word here is in the imperative mood. That means it's not a suggestion, but a command. It's also in the present tense, meaning the action of the verb is ongoing. And so we could translate it as follows. Constantly reckon or consider or keep on thinking about. And then not as an end in itself, but rather with a view to shaping one's attitudes and one's conduct. Now, this raises the question, what are we to keep on thinking about? What should be the focus of our thinking? What are we to be constantly thinking about and pondering and filling our minds with? Well, Paul tells us in our text. He mentions here six things that we are to ponder. First of all, he says we should be constantly thinking about whatever is true. Truth is the opposite of the lie, the opposite of falsehood. It's that which is in accordance with reality or fact. And as such, it is rooted in God himself, who is the source of all truth, unlike the devil, who is the liar and the father of all lies. Secondly, he says, we should be constantly thinking about whatever is noble, or we could say honorable. The word here means grave, venerable, sober, dignified worthy of respect or honor. It's the opposite of light or frivolous or silly. Nobility is a requirement for deacons. As Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, and their wives, as he says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 11. It's also used to describe what older men in the church are to be like, as he says in Titus 2, verse 2. Thirdly, he says, We should be constantly thinking about whatever is just, or we could say right or fair. Now, something is just if it lines up with God's revealed will, specifically his holy law. We are to fill our minds with the things that are according to God's law and not the things that are not. Fourthly, we should be constantly thinking about whatever is pure. The word here is used of God in 1 John 3, verse 3. There John writes, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The word here means free from blemish or corruption or defilement. It includes sexual purity, but it extends beyond that to include thought and speech and actions as well. Fifthly, Paul says we should be constantly thinking about whatever is lovely. The word here appears only here in the New Testament. It basically means that which calls forth or elicits love. We could translate it as lovable. 
Sixthly, Paul says we should be constantly thinking about whatever is of good report. Now, like the previous word, this word is found only here in the New Testament. It refers to something that is good-sounding or commendable, praiseworthy, admirable, something fit or pleasant to be heard, something that men can always think good about. Well, these are the things that believers are to constantly reckon with, constantly consider, constantly to keep on thinking about or filling their minds with. These are the things that are true and noble, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. Now, you'll notice that this is not an exhaustive list. Paul could have mentioned many more things, but he limits himself only to these six. Notice, too, how comprehensive Paul is. He says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, and so on. He could have simply listed the words, whatever things are true and noble and just, but he doesn't do that. He keeps repeating this word, whatever. And he does that for a reason, because he wants to convey comprehensiveness. He wants the Philippians to meditate on whatever was true and noble and just, and so on. What is more, at the end of this list, he adds the statement, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You notice the repetition of the word any. Paul did not want to miss out on anything. Nothing of moral excellence and nothing that would earn the praise of God or man must be left out. The Philippians must meditate, they must think about and ponder, fill their minds with all of these things. Well, this is the focus of Paul's summons to godly thinking. It's focused on everything that is virtuous and praiseworthy. So the question comes to us today, are these the things that fill our minds? What fills your mind today? Is it filled with whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, whatever is of virtue, and whatever is praiseworthy? Remember, this is not an option. This is a command. We are obligated to fill our minds with these things, just as much as we are obligated to keep the Sabbath day holy, not to kill, not to steal, and not to commit adultery. These are all commands of God. But in order to keep this command, a certain requirement must be met. And that leads us to our second point. When Paul commands us to meditate on or to fill our minds with the things that he mentions in our text, it's clear that he's speaking to believers. And that's because unbelievers cannot and will not do this. Rather than fill their minds with things that are true, unbelievers fill their minds with things that are not true, things that are false. Similarly, rather than fill their minds with things that are noble, unbelievers fill their minds with things that are not noble. Rather than fill their minds with things that are pure, unbelievers fill their minds with things that are not pure. Now, the evidence for this is all around us. What do believers, both unbelievers rather, both within and outside the church, fill their minds with? What kind of music do they listen to? What kind of music do they play at full volume in their cars and through their earbuds? What kind of movies and television shows do they watch? What kinds of books and magazines do they read? What kind of internet sites do they visit? What kinds of things are constantly on their minds? 
What are they always thinking about? Well, I can assure you, it is not the things that are true, it is not the things that are noble, and it's not the things that are pure, and I could go through the whole list. But rather, it's the exact opposite. Now, that's not to say that unbelievers never say things that are true, or they never act in a way that is noble and pure and so on. They do. And they do that by virtue of God's common grace. In fact, some unbelievers, both within and outside the church, can appear to be so godly that we can mistake them for true believers. And our Lord even teaches this in the parable of the wheat and the tares, where the tares look just like the wheat. But unbelievers cannot and will not fill their minds with such things. Why not? Because by nature their hearts and therefore also their minds are corrupt and evil. Now that's clearly what the scriptures teach. In Titus 3 verse 1, Paul writes that believers before their regeneration were foolish. Unbelievers, those who are outside of Christ, are fools. Similarly, in Romans 1, verse 28, the Apostle Paul writes that the ungodly have a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he writes that the God of this age, who is the devil, has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And finally, in Romans 8, verse 7, Paul says that man by nature has a carnal mind that is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Well, such is the condition of the unbeliever. Such is the condition in which we are all born. We are born with a mind and a heart that is evil and corrupt. Well, you say, how then can we obey the command in our text? There's only one way. We need to be changed. We need to be changed from the inside out. We need a new heart. And that's not something that we can do ourselves. This only God can do. He must give us a new mind. He must give us the mind of Christ, which becomes ours when we come to faith in him. We have a wonderful illustration of this in the healing of the demoniac. What was the demoniac like before he became to Christ? Well, he was possessed with a legion of demons. And people tried many times to tame him, even binding him with chains. But it was all to no avail. He broke these chains like a piece of thread. But as a result, he spent his days in the tombs, naked, bellowing and shrieking at the top of his lungs. At one point, seeing Jesus on the shore, he ran towards him as if to attack him. And he cried, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. But when Jesus cast the demons out of this man, the people found him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Before he came to Christ, the demoniac was not in his right mind, but after he came to Christ, he was. So if we want to be right in our mind, we need to come to Christ. We need to believe on him. We need to embrace him. We need to serve him and submit to him and follow him. 
And then we will want to fill our minds with things that are good and pure and noble and of good report and so on. And not until we come to Christ will this become a reality. Now, does that mean that once we come to Christ, we never again think evil or impure thoughts? Of course not. The believer is not perfect. Neither is his mind or his heart. And consequently, many times he will find himself falling into old and sinful patterns of behavior, as the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 7 and elsewhere. And this is precisely why Paul in Ephesians 4 verse 23 exhorts his readers to be renewed in the spirit of their mind. And in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, Peter writes, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. And this is why we must pray with the psalmist, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Yes, every day we must confess how far short we come of thinking godly and virtuous things. And we must ask the Lord, therefore, to forgive us and to fill us with his Spirit that we may do as he commands. Well, in order to fill our minds with the things that Paul mentions in our text, we need to have the mind of Christ. But perhaps you're asking, well, why should I even want to fill my mind with such things? What's the practical benefit of thinking about the things that Paul mentions in our text? Well, that brings me to my third and final point. Paul's summons in our text has several practical benefits. First of all, it serves as a powerful antidote to sin and conversely, a powerful catalyst to holiness. Sin, you see, begins in the mind. What we think about largely determines how we behave. So if we fill our minds with virtuous thoughts, it's more likely that we will act virtuously. Conversely, if we fill our minds with sinful thoughts, it's more likely that we will act sinfully. Now, I'm not saying that if you watch movies about serial killers that you'll become one yourself. Of course not. Because of his restraining grace, God does not allow that to happen but you will become desensitized to killing. You may even take a secret delight in it or develop a fascination with it. The same is true for any evil in our world. The more you think about it and expose yourself to it, the less desensitized to it you will become. So the best way to avoid sinful thoughts and sinful desires and sinful behaviors is to fill your mind with virtuous thoughts and desires. And filling our minds with such desires will be a powerful catalyst to godly living. Secondly, Paul's summons to godly thinking is a powerful antidote to obsessive mental preoccupations. Now, what do I mean by obsessive mental preoccupations? Well, these are things that you can't let go of. You think about them all the time, and they control you and your ability to think and to function normally. Let me give you some examples. Some people have an obsession with conspiracy theories. Now, such theories abound, especially today. People who believe these theories simply can't help themselves. It's all they ever talk about. It's all they ever think about. It consumes them. Now, to be sure, anyone has the right to believe whatever they want privately, But if it controls you, if that's all you can think about, and if that's all you can talk about, then something is seriously wrong with you. The Christian mind should not be filled with such thoughts. It needs to be filled with things that are just and pure and noble 
and lovely and of good report. Another example. People have, some people have an obsession with past hurts. There are people who have been hurt by things people have said or done to them, usually people they're close to, and they can never seem to get over it. And they think about it all the time. It consumes them. And even if they manage to keep it under control, the slightest thing can set them off. And they become bitter and angry, and they lash out at everyone and everything, even people they love and respect. During my more than 20 years in the ministry, I have learned that people can deeply hurt other people. And they can be hurt by other people as well. I've seen it, and I've experienced it too. But we cannot allow those hurts to control us. Nor should we think about these things all the time. Rather than harbor negative thoughts and feelings, we need to learn to fill our minds with the things that are true and just and pure and noble and lovely and of good report. Let me give you one more example. There are other people who are obsessed with certain biblical teachings. And there are all kinds of examples of this. There are people, for example, who are obsessed with things like biblical prophecy or the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit or the place of Israel and God's plan of redemption or the end times and the Antichrist. And that's all they ever think about. That's all they ever talk about. That's all certain preachers ever seem to preach about. It's an obsession for them. My friend, this too is wrong. The Christian should never allow any one doctrine to dominate his thinking. If we should think about anything at all, it should be about Christ and the things that are true and noble and pure and so on. Thirdly, Paul's summons to godly thinking is a powerful aid to discernment. Our society today is full of temptations. And they're readily accessible and available, especially on the internet. And that poses a considerable challenge for some. How do we know what is right and what is wrong, what is beneficial and what is not? When confronted, more often than not, people, especially but by no means exclusively young people, especially those who have a tendency to worldliness, will always ask the same question. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with this or that movie? What's wrong with this or that television show? What's wrong with this or that article of clothing or this or that pl place of entertainment or this or that song or style of music? Now, significantly, these people never seem to ask the other question, which is, what's right with it? In other words, they never ask, does it help? Or hinder me in my Christian walk? Will it help me to become more like Christ or less like Him? Will it bring me closer to God or further away from Him? In terms of our text, is what I want to watch or read or look at, is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? Is there any virtue in it? Is it praiseworthy? Oh, perhaps not in your own opinion or in the opinion of others, even people you respect and look up to, but is it these things in the opinion of God? 
And if your answer to those questions is no, then you shouldn't even be considering, looking at, or reading what you're contemplating. Remember, Christ did not save us so that we could come as near to the precipice of evil as we possibly can without falling off. He came to save us in order to keep us far away from it. And our calling as Christians is not to come as close as we possibly can to evil, but to flee from it at all costs, to get away from it as far as we can. In Titus 2 verse 14, Paul writes that Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us, not so that we can practice or even come close to practicing every lawless deed, but rather to deliver us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. If you don't understand that, my friend, then something is wrong. Your heart is still too attached to the world and the things of this world. And it's possible you're not even born again. So the next time you want to know what's wrong with something, ask yourself what's right with it and whether it helps or hinders you in your Christian walk. Fourthly, Paul summons to godly thinking is a powerful incentive to study the Scriptures and model ourselves after Christ. Do you want to know more about what is truth and what is noble and what is just and what is pure and so on? Do you want to know what is virtuous and praiseworthy? My friends, study the Scriptures. In particular, study the many examples in Scripture, both positive and negative, and learn the lessons of these examples. Positive examples include people like Noah and Abraham, David and Paul. Negative examples include people like Cain and Ham and Esau, although almost all of the good examples in the Bible are also at times bad examples. The point is we need to learn from these people. We need to imitate what is good and avoid what is bad, for they are given to us as examples. Most importantly, we need to study the life of Christ. Christ is the perfect and ultimate embodiment of all of the virtues that Paul mentions in our text. He is true, for he said, I am the truth. And he spoke the truth at all times and in all places to all people. He is noble. He took on himself the noblest of all tasks, the salvation of his own. He is just, for he was just in all of his dealings with all men. And one day he is coming to judge the heavens and the earth, and then his judgment will be perfect. He is also pure. He is completely undefiled, separate from sinners, entirely without sin. He is lovely, the fairest among ten thousand. He is of good report. Everyone, except his enemies, of course, thought well of him and praised him. Oh, if you want to live out our text, and I hope you do, my friend, look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him be your model. Let him be your example. Strive to emulate. Strive to imitate him. And so Paul, in our text, summons us to godly thinking. What about you today? Do you have a godly mind that thinks godly thoughts. If not, I urge you, seek the Lord. Only he can give you this kind of mind. And if you do have it, seek to develop it and exercise it. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by the message you've heard today or have a comment on anything that you've heard, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. 
Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard, or if you would like to more, like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.